lots and lots of examinations uh, in front of other pastors. Examinations like uh, the English Bible. So they'll say, hey, tell me what the book of Jeremiah is about or outline the book of Philippians. Uh, they'll also... Uh, take some Hebrew and Greek exegetical papers that I did from seminary. Uh, they'll test us on church history. They'll, ch- they'll test us on sacraments, on theology, uh, on church government, things like that. And so ordination is a pretty big deal for us. It's a pretty big deal for me. And the culmination of it is an ordination service. Uh, many of you were maybe there. It was last March that I was ordained, and it was over at New Hope Church. And I remember the night before, my mom and I were uh, hanging out at my house. She was in town, and we were looking through my shirts. And it was kind of scary, because a lot of people came from far away to be here. I had family from St. Louis, from Ohio, from Indiana. Uh, we had pastors, mentors, heroes in my life that came from lacrosse and from uh, from Merrill and from Milwaukee. And so all these people were coming. And as we're looking through my closet, we're greatly disturbed because all of my white, clean shirts, you might notice I don't wear those very much. Um, weddings and funerals and ordination is about the only time that I wear those. And, uh, and we're looking through my closet and all the white shirts have either shrunk or they have they have either shrunk or they have gotten uh, food stains on them or they have yellow around the collar or they are just, you know, crimpled beyond all ironability. And so we're looking through our closet and there's just nothing good, nothing that would make me presentable for ordination. So my mom and I, we run out to Kohl's at like eight, eight or nine o'clock at night. and We get this nice, wonderful, new white shirt, dress shirt for me to wear. And she gets it for me so that I could be presentable, so that I could put it on and I would be acceptable before all of these people. In Ephesians, Paul has laid out for us how we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That our shirts by nature, that our hearts are stained with sin. And we are not acceptable before a holy and awesome God, but we have been clothed in the beautiful, perfect righteousness of Christ so that when we stand before God, We will be acceptable before Him, not because of anything we have done, but because of the righteousness of Christ given to us. And so Paul lays that out in the first three chapters of what Christ has done, of the life that we have in Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he goes on to share how we might bring Christ into all of life. What impact does the gospel have in our lives? And we looked at chapter 4 and we saw how the gospel impacts our community to one another. How the gospel beckons us to relate with one another with gospel love. That we don't fight one another, we don't flee from one another, but we love one another and we come together with one another. Paul goes on, and he actually talks more explicitly about this putting off the old man and putting on Christ. He talks about how we are to put off our minds that are depraved, that are wicked, and to put on the mind of Christ. That we are to put off our hearts that are fallen, that are tempted to sin, and we are to put on the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is the battle that we live every day, isn't it? To put off the old man and to put on the new for those who trust in Jesus Christ. 
And so today he is going to continue to tell us how we might live in light of the gospel, what it looks like to put off the old man and to put on the new. Last week we saw he talked about what it looks like with our words. You remember how he said that our words are so powerful. They're like a rudder on a huge ship. They have so much power. And so we are to not uh, speak words of death and words that hurt, but we're supposed to speak words that love, that impart God's grace to other people. That we're supposed to put off lying and put on truthing. That we're supposed to put off unfruitful talk and put on fruitful talk. And so the gospel affects the way we speak. And this week, Paul's going to tell us the gospel even affects the way that we work. The gospel affects our view of money. And so that's what we're going to look at this week. We're actually really only going to focus on one verse today. But we're going to read the context around it. And so if you would turn to uh, page, I believe it's 978 in the Red Bible. And we'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 22 through 32. But the sermon today is going to be just on verse 28. But we'll get the context around it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And now he's going to talk about how he put off the old and put on the new. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are... We are going to look at commands today that are that are tough, that are difficult. There are things in our life that are so tempting that we're going to address today. God, we, we just repent before we even start the text, God, that we do not live up to your standards, God. And it is only by your grace and through the Holy Spirit that we take off the old and put on the new. And we pray that during these 30 minutes we would do that but we would also continue it throughout the week. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So how does the gospel, how does the good news of Jesus Christ, how does it affect our work? How does it affect the way that we view money? Well, we're going to look at that today again in verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to see is very simple. Paul says that we are to put off stealing, that we are to put on working, 
so that we can be giving to those in need. And those are the three things that we're going to look at. And so let's look at the first one. We are to put off stealing. Verse 28, he says, very simply, let the thief no longer steal. I think all of us understand what stealing is. Stealing is to take someone else's property, right, without paying for it. Um, It's to take someone's stuff, whether they know it or whether they not, whether they don't. And so maybe it's by force or by their ignorance, but we take something that belongs to someone else. Now, when we hear this term stealing, we think, oh, this doesn't apply to me, right? I'm not stealing TVs out of stores, right? I'm not robbing people's houses, I'm not pickpocketing people at church. right? I'm doing none of those things. And so I can take a break today because this doesn't apply to me. Well, in thinking through this, I guess I would argue that we might be more tempted to steal today than ever in the course of human history. And the reason is, is because we can do it so easily without being caught. We can actually do it from the comfort of our own homes so extremely easy. You know, when I was in college, I had just became a Christian. And I was a pretty good guy compared to the rest of the guys in my fraternity house. But as I thought about this verse, I was an absolute thief in college. You may remember the website. It was called Napster, right? It was like thieving for free, right? And it was, it was, hey, let's go do this. Let's download these songs. Let's burn them to CDs. Let's listen to them, right? And it was all stealing. And we all knew it, too. And so I downloaded these songs. My fraternity brothers downloaded these songs. And what was so funny is, you know, there was really no difference between us except I was downloading these praise and worship songs. And so it's like, you know, I will give you all my worship. But I'm going to steal these songs to worship you, right? It's just weird, weird, all right? So I would steal this stuff, and I'd burn CDs, and I'd give it out to my friends, like, hey, this could encourage their faith in Christ, and here you go. And it's like, yeah, these are stolen, but here you go, you know, love Jesus. And so, I mean, it is so easy for us to steal with technology, isn't it? And and there's no one looking over our shoulder. If you download an illegal song or an illegal movie, nobody's going to know probably, right? You're not going to be you're not going to be sent to court, you're not going to go to jail, you're not going to get a fine. And so stealing is so extremely easy today. You know, most of us would never walk into Walmart and take a DVD or take a movie, but it's so easy to download it off the internet. And so, you know, this is something that is so tempting for me. And so stealing is something that we are all very prone to. And Paul knew this. And so that's why he's writing to the church, to Christians, no longer steal. Because the gospel affects that. In college, I also stole from God. Um, I knew that I was supposed to tithe, but I, I, I would I would reason it away. I'd say, God, I'm just a poor college student. Plus, the church can't really do much with my money, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give what you tell me to give. I also stole from writers. Um, I do plagiarism in my papers. I mean, I was a thief. It was horrible. And so, Paul writes to us: no longer steal. He knows that this is an issue that we deal with. Daily. And the question is, why do we steal? Why are we so tempted to steal? Is it because our family is starving and we need a loaf of bread to feed them? If you're here today, that's probably not the case, alright? Why do we steal when we have the means to get what we need financially? Augustine, who's one of the great fathers of the Christian faith, an amazing man, He wrote a a book or a journal called Confessions. And he wrote out these things, and it's somewhat long, and so I put it up here as well. 
of, of his experience with stealing as a teenager. And why in the world did he steal? And this is what he writes. He says, There was a pear tree close to our own vineyard, heavily laden with fruit, which was not tempting either for its color or its flavor, which means it was not very good fruit. It didn't look good. It didn't taste good. Late one night, as our bad habit was, a group of young scoundrels and I among them went to shake and rob this tree. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs after barely tasting some of them for ourselves. Doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden. Such was my heart, O God. Such was my heart, which thou didst pity Even in that bottomless pit, it was foul, and I loved it. I loved my own undoing. I loved my error. Not that for which I erred, but the error itself. A depraved soul falling away from security in thee to destruction in itself, seeking nothing from the shameful deed, but shame itself. And then he goes on to confess something even more amazing. He says, those pears were truly pleasant to the sight, but it was not for them, because they weren't any good, that my miserable soul lusted. For I had an abundance of better pears. And so Augustine, in his own vineyard, had better pears than the one that he was stealing. And it was right, and it was good, and it was okay for him to take them. But he said, I want to steal the worst pears. He says, I stole those simply that I might steal. For having stolen them, I threw them away. My sole gratification in them was my own sin, which I was pleased to enjoy. For if any one of those pears entered my mouth, the only good flavor it had was my sin in eating it. So why do we, why do we steal? Why are we tempted to steal? It usually has nothing to do with our economic level. It has everything to do with our heart. Our actions come from within. It's because our heart desires excitement. It desires things. And so we reach out and steal things because it is our heart's desire to do it. It is a reflection of what is going on inside. You know, even just a few months ago, I was extremely, extremely tempted to steal. And it's a funny story. I was at a... I was at a gas station, and I think the price had gone up to like three ninety four a gallon or something like that, right? It's just getting outrageous. And if you're like me, you're thinking these oil companies, they have so much money, and they're just charging higher and higher rates for gas, and you get angry about it. That's the way I get. Well, I go to this gas station, and whoever entered the price into the pump misplaced a decimal point. And so it was $0.39 cents a gallon, which was awesome. And I'm thinking, all right, I get a chance to stick it to the man, right? Like, let me call up my friends, say, hey, come to this gas station, pump six, 39 cents a gallon, it's going to be fantastic, right? That's the old man. That's the old Dan saying, let's stick it to the man, right? They're never going to know. They'll never know. But begrudgingly, the new man, by God's grace, nothing on my own said, Dan, you know better. You belong to God. You belong to Christ. You have been clothed in His righteousness. Do not steal. Now, my heart wasn't perfect by any means, but I went inside. Your pump's wrong. Do you want me to pay for that? You know? 
And the guy's like, oh, yes, please do, you know. And so I had to wait an extra five minutes, paid the difference, right? But that's what happens when God is transforming your life to put off the old man and to put on the new. That even in those easy opportunities to, to steal, when nobody will know, God says, listen, you belong to me. I have given you my righteousness. Live according to it. I have plenty of money to pay for gas. It was not money. It was my own heart. And so Paul here very simply says, do not steal. If you have stolen, I love you. God loves you. But he says, do not steal anymore. Put off stealing and put on working. And so let's look at that. We are to put off stealing and we are to put on working. Paul commands that we should not only take, but that we should take money when we earn it. That we should earn our own wages. That we should live according to our own financial means. That we should be self-sustaining. He mentions this to the Thessalonians because there were lazy Christians in Thessalonia who lived off the charity of other Christians. And he says this to him. He says, and it's very direct, and it may seem very harsh, but he says this, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, some of you like that verse way too much, all right? But he's saying if someone is not willing to work, the church should not feed them. Because if the church feeds them, they are not helping them. They are enabling them. And so when someone comes to us and they need help for food or whatever, you know, we do a very thorough examination. Usually we give them money right up front, but then we say, we want to get into your life. We want to know what's going on. We want to know if you're trying to get a job. If you are, we love to help you. We love to support you. We want to give you money. You know, this is not for people here who are unemployed that are looking for a job. That is a horrible place to be. It is a difficult place to be. I've been there. It's been one of the worst places I've ever been in. And I realize that it was a part of the fall. Unemployment is a part of the fall. It's not the way the world should belong. God created us to work. It was a good part of His creation. He made Adam, and where did He put him? In the garden, to work it. And it was good, and it was wonderful. And I think all of us know what it's like to have a good, honest day's work, and, and we enjoy that. Especially if you're unemployed and you crave that. We grieve with you, and we want to help you. And so this is not for those who do not have a job. It's for those who are not looking for a job, who want to live off the generosity of others. And he says, if that is your case, church, do not feed them because that is not love. You are just enabling them. And so he says that we should work. It goes on, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You know, those people, they're, they're still busy with stuff, right? They have TV shows to catch and things like that. Verse 12, Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. There is something so noble about humbly going to work, providing for yourself and for your family, And doing it for the glory of God. Not for fame, but for His fame and for His glory. When you do that day in and day out, you may feel like, I'm not doing much. But God says this glorifies Him. This delights Him. When you go and you serve humbly in your job for years and years and years. One of my favorite movies is the movie Dave. Dave is a guy who would help people find jobs. 
And uh, he happened to look like the President of the United States. And so when the President goes into a coma, uh, they, they, they kidnap Dave and they put him up as President to, to cover up that the real President is in a coma. And during his time of Presidency, Dave says this. He says, if you've ever seen the look of somebody's face the day they finally get a job, they look like they could fly. And it's not about the paycheck. It's about respect. It's about looking in the mirror and knowing that you've done something valuable with your day. We have a God that works. We are created in the image of that God to do good work. And so when we work, that's in line with who God made us to be and we come alive. And so he says we should put off stealing and put on working. But we shouldn't just put on working. He qualifies it. We should put on Honest work. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. You see, dishonest work is the same as stealing. Because when we do dishonest work, we steal. If you are an employer and you have people that serve underneath you, if you pay them less than they're worth just because you can, you're stealing from them. If you're trying to sell a product to someone and you're withholding information that would persuade them to or not to buy this product, you are stealing from them. If you are an employee and you cut corners when your boss isn't looking, when you know that you won't get caught, you're stealing from him. When you spend an abundant amount of time surfing the web, talking to your friends about the Packers, you're stealing from your employer. And so you see, dishonest work is the same as stealing, because it is stealing. You're stealing from your employer, or you're stealing from your employee. And so he calls us to work honestly, to work good for the glory of God at our jobs. When I was in seminary, um, there was this, they had these pizza lunches. They knew if they gave away free pizza, people would show up. And so they give away free pizza and we would show up. And uh, I didn't even know what was going on that day. I just knew there was free pizza there. So I showed up and there was this guy who was a Middle Eastern guy. I didn't quite understand who he was or what he was doing there. But he was a youth pastor at a local church. And he shared his story, his testimony of how he grew up in Iraq. And he grew up under Saddam Hussein. And he and his family were planning on, on fleeing the country to get out of there. And he actually was then uh, drafted into the military. And so for 17 years, he worked in the military waiting for a time to escape. Well, finally, they escaped to Jordan. They came to faith through Christ through a Billy Graham crusade. And so he was here sharing this story. And one of the amazing things that he told me, and I don't know if you know this, but this is really quite amazing to me. Saddam Hussein was under constant attack. He was constantly threatened. His life was. That part's not amazing. But what's amazing is that one way that people would kill Saddam Hussein or attempt to was through poisoning his food. And so do you know who the cooks were for Saddam Hussein? Do you know who the chefs were? They were Christians. Did you know that? He only hired Christians to make his food and to serve his food because he knew he could trust them to be honest. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, would, would your boss say that of you? Say, I know this person, he's a Christian, he's an honest worker, she is an honest worker, and it would transform someone's view of Christianity. You know, I wonder if they had in mind Colossians 3, 
When it says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't imagine that they did not have this verse in mind when they thought, we are not serving Saddam Hussein, we are serving Jesus Christ. I do not know who your boss is. I am sure they are not perfect, but I'm also pretty sure they are not Saddam Hussein. (laughs) And if these Christians can serve with honesty and integrity, how much more can we? As those who do not serve earthly masters, but serve our heavenly king, Jesus Christ. And so we are called to put off stealing, but also to put on honest working. And then Paul goes on, and if these two things are not convicting enough for you as they are for me, it gets worse. Paul even gives us a greater command, a more difficult command Than the first two. He tells us why we should work honestly. Why we should no longer steal. And he says this. Verse 20 again. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share. With anyone in need. Oh this is tough. (laughs) Isn't it? You know, we earn money to support ourselves, which is good. But we should also earn money to aid others who are in need. Helping others is the opposite of stealing. It is a complete 180 degree turn that he calls the thief to here. He says, our goal is not to get rich. Our goal is not to retire early. Our goal is to earn money to give it generously to others. You know... Right now, America is the most financially prosperous country ever on the face of the earth. And it's amazing how people like me and people like you say, oh, if only I had a little bit more money, right? J.D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? One dollar more. That was his answer, right? We always want the next thing to put in our pockets to make us happy. And so we work to get, to get, to get, to get. And Paul Gives a completely different command here. He says, I want you to work to give. To give. To give. To those in need. It is a radical generosity that he calls us to here. And as we look at generosity, I guess I would just warn you about two things. Because I see these things in my own heart. The first is this. If you don't have the money, don't give. Uh, We have family who gives us these amazing presents for our kids. And we feel guilty because they get us these amazing presents and we get them something not so amazing. But the same family member tells us about all the credit card debt that they're in. And we're sitting there going, please do not get us gifts. But they keep giving it to us. And so pay your credit card company. Give them a gift, right? Give them a gift of money. Pay that off so that you can give generously with a clear conscience. But secondly... Don't judge others' generosity. I think I was in a trap for a long time where I thought, if somebody has money, then they must not be a very good Christian. Then they must not be very generous. But as I have grown, I have seen that the most generous people usually drive really nice cars. And some of the most selfish people drive really meager cars. And so we can't judge who is generous and who is not because this is an issue of the heart. It is okay to provide for yourself. It is okay to enjoy the money that God has given to you. He commands us to enjoy it as a gift from Him. But we are also supposed to give it generously. This would maybe shape the house that you would buy, the car that you would buy, that you would buy something below your means so that you have money to give generously to those in need. 
when I was in Columbia, Missouri, uh, Trish and I had these older friends that were in their 40s and 50s, and they had young children. And their young children were, were moved by an advertisement for Compassion International, an opportunity to support children, both physically with food, but also spiritually with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they were moved to share, they asked mom and dad, can we support a child in Africa? And their parents looked through their budget and said, we can't afford $30 a month, but here's what we'll do. We'll leave it up to you. You can either have cable or we can support this child. It wasn't a guilt trip. They said, here's your opportunity. What do you want to do? And they said, get rid of the cable. We want to support this child. Being generous takes sacrifice a lot of times. They did it joyfully and gladly because God had transformed their hearts. And so God wants us to earn money honestly and to give it generously to others because it shows who we worship. It shows what's in our heart. I want to end with uh, three illustrations and, uh, of how, how in the world would a thief be so transformed that they would now give generously. The first is the movie Les Mis, and you may already know how this goes. But in Les Mis, and I will mispronounce the names because it's been a long time since I've seen it, but there's a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean is in prison for stealing. He was a thief. And he was in prison for 19 years, and he got out. And when he got out, he had a passport that had a yellow sticker in it that said that he was an ex-convict. And so when he would go to the inns, the innkeepers would turn him away. He became bitter and angry as he was forced to live on the street. Finally, there was a Christian man. He was a bishop. His name was Bishop Muriel. He took Vajan in, and he fed him, and he put him up for the night. But John still had the old man at work. In the middle of the night, he woke up and he went and he stole the silverware. And he fled. And the police caught him and brought him back. And then Jean Valjean experienced something he had never experienced before. He had experienced radical, grace-centered generosity. Grace-saturated generosity. When the police brought him back, they said, we caught this thief. And, and what did the bishop say? He said, no, 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 I gave those to him as a gift. And as a matter of fact, he forgot these candlesticks. Here, take those as well. Go and make a good life for yourself. Well, Jean Valjean, he was not immediately touched by this. He actually went and he stole some money from a kid who was a chimney sweeper. But as the radical grace... The radical generosity penetrated his heart. He was transformed. And he went to find the kid to give him that money, but he couldn't find him. And so he escapes, in the, and it picks up six years later where he has been transformed by this radical grace and generosity showed towards him. And he takes on this woman. He's actually a rich man, and he's paying for her medical bills. And she is the lowest of the low in society. She had a, a child out of wedlock. She was a prostitute to pay for that child. And so she was an outcast. And Jean Valjean brought her in and he paid for her with great generosity. And then when she died, he took her daughter and raised her as his own. And why was he so generous? It's because he himself had first experienced the radical grace and generosity of that Christian bishop. Story number two. Both of these come from the Bible. You guys may be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the chief 
tax collector. They called him, the people, town people of Jericho said, he's a sinner and they didn't like him, which means what? He was corrupt. He was dishonest in his work. He was a thief. But then Jesus comes to him and he has a real, amazing, life-transforming encounter with Jesus. And after that encounter, he says this. Zacchaeus, who was a thief, said this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. That's a lot. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is son of Abraham. His generosity was fruit from receiving the generous love of Jesus Christ. Final story. When Jesus went to the cross, he hung between two thieves. And these two thieves had different approaches to Jesus. One mocked and ridiculed Jesus. But the other thief said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was an act of faith. He said, This man is innocent and I am guilty. And everybody can see it. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds how? He says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. The cross is the greatest symbol of this radical, grace-saturated generosity that the world has ever seen. And it was done for you. Christ took your sin upon Himself, gave you His righteousness. And the reason why is so that you can be in paradise with Him forever. So He can continue to lavish upon you His generosity for all eternity. And so the only way us thieves could be transformed to radically give generously is if we have first experienced the radical generosity of Jesus Christ in our own hearts. And so this one little verse is so convicting, isn't it? There are so many areas in our hearts that need to change, that need to know the generosity of Jesus Christ towards us. Let's pray that God would make that happen. Gracious God, what a, what a difficult verse in the Bible. Not because it's hard to understand, but because it's hard to comprehend. And it's hard to put into practice. Gracious God, we do pray that we would be distinct like those workers for Saddam Hussein that worked with integrity and honesty. Workers that transformed his view of Christians, but it was for your glory. We pray that we would glorify you with the way that we do our work. Help us to give generously as you have so generously given to us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.